0: Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, and I sure do hope you do, turn with me to Psalm 78. And while you're finding that, let me just share with you where we're going to be going in the next several weeks. In two weeks, we're going to be celebrating communion together, November the 29th. So let me encourage you to be here as we remember the Lord's sacrifice, as we take the um, bread, we take the wine from the, the vine to celebrate what God has done for us. And then in December we're going to focus a series called Ancient Stories of Christmas where we're going to be looking at passages in the Old Testament that foretell the Christmas story. And so it's ancient stories. It's stories that are even more ancient than Christmas itself. And so we're going to be looking through the Old Testament to see what we can learn about the Christmas story. But this morning... We're beginning a, a two-part stewardship emphasis that that really is different than any other stewardship emphasis that we've done before. We're, we're calling it generations. It's based upon a passage in, in Psalm 78, verse 6. The message translation says it this way. So the next generation would know and all the generations to come. You see... That is our desire at Northside. We want to be a church that focuses on reaching the next generation and all the generations to come, because if we don't, everything, if we don 't do everything we can to reach the next generation, then we are going to fail in the mission that God has given us. god 's word gives us example after example of god 's people for one reason or another, who failed to do that. They failed to reach the next generation. And every time they do that, it ends in tragedy. The most recent example was the book we just got through studying, the book of Judges. We discovered that they failed to reach the next generation. The Bible tells us that that one generation knew the Lord. They loved the Lord. They served the Lord. But we're told the very next generation didn't even acknowledge the Lord. They didn't serve the Lord. And unfortunately, I'm afraid that that's happening in America today. As we look at the statistics, they are absolutely sobering. 3,500 people are leaving the church every day in America. Think that through. Every single day in America, 3,500 people are leaving the church. 4,000 churches are closing their doors every single year in America. 4,000 churches. There are less than half the number of churches today that there were just 100 years ago. Some researchers tell us that, that less than 20% of the population in America regularly attend church. And of the churches that are still open, 80% of those churches are plateaued or declining. And yet every single week here at Northside, we have over 1,000 people who are gathering together for one reason and that is to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We have preschoolers, and we have children, and we have teenagers. We have adults, and we have senior adults. We have hundreds of people in every single age group. Every single Sunday, we have three or four generations that gather together. We have children, and we have grandchildren. We have parents, and we have grandparents that gather under one roof, Because of our faith in Jesus. And one of the reasons that that is happening is because we are taking great effort to reach the next generation. Now here's what I've learned about about churches and children. Every single church wants a lot of kids. I've never met a church that, that says we don't want children coming here. Every single church wants to reach kids. But it seems like whenever God blesses a church and that church starts reaching kids, the church immediately wants those kids to quit acting like kids. And that's absolutely impossible, isn't it? We want kids, but we don't want the noise. We don't want the distraction. We don't want the damage that is done because kids will be kids. Even the best of kids. And all too often in many churches in America. They set up all of these rules and all of these regulations. And they do all of these things that keep them from reaching kids. But the truth of the matter is that our church exists to reach kids. And every church exists to reach kids. If we don't reach the kids. If we don't reach the teenagers. We... We'll close our doors. And that's true for the smallest church. And it's true for the largest church. Now now the fact is, we don't do what we do for us. We don't do what we do for those of us who already know the Lord. We don't do what we do for my generation. And, and the truth of the matter is for most of our generation. We do what we do. For the next generation. And in light of that, I want us to look at Psalm 78 for a few moments. Because Psalm 78 really focuses our minds on the reality that it's not about us. It's not about my parents' generation. It's not about my generation. It's, It's not even about my children's generation. The truth of the matter is, it's, it's about my grandchildren's generation. And it's about the generations to come. And Psalm 78 makes that clear. Now, when you open your Bible to Psalm 78, you discover that, that it isn't written by David like most of the Psalms. It's written by Asaph. And Asaph was a Levite. He was one of the worship leaders in David's choir. Psalm 78 is is a long psalm. It has 72 verses. It's one of the longest verses. But as we unpack this psalm, there are two truths I want you to see from the psalm. And then a third truth that I think that we need to apply to our life. Now, the first truth we see here is the message that was proclaimed. I want you to notice what Asaph says in verses 1 through 5. He says, Oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statues for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach to their children. Now, Asaph begins this psalm by literally saying, people, it's time to listen up. And then he says, what I'm about to tell you is, perplexing. It's, it's like a riddle. It, it doesn't make sense. In, in one translation, it it's calls these hidden things. In another translation, it calls it dark sayings. It literally means that they are hard to comprehend. Then he says this, these sayings that are perplexing to us, that are hard for us to understand, we're not going to hide these truths From the generations to come. We're going to tell them the great things, the mighty things that God has done for us. Then it proceeds to tell us Israel's history. From the time of the Exodus and the time that they came out of Egypt until the time of David. And what you discover if you read this psalm is that it is a history of continued sin and God's continued grace. It's the history of God's continued sin. The people sin over and over again. And yet, it's the history of God's continued grace. In spite of their sin that occurs time after time, God continues to show mercy and grace and forgiveness to His people. Listen to what it says in verse 10. It says, they did not keep God's covenant, but refused to live by his instructions. They forgot what he had done. Then he told them how he divided the Red Sea, how how the children of Israel walked through on dry ground, how God led the children of Israel by by a cloud during the day and, and by a pillar of fire during the night. He tells us how when when the children of Israel got thirsty and there was no water to drink, there were, there were no springs, there were no rivers, that God would bring water out of rocks to drink. And yet we read in verse 17, they kept on sinning and rebelling against God. They stubbornly tested God, demanding the foods they had back in Egypt. It says that they even spoke against God, saying God doesn't even have the power to give us food. In other words, they didn't believe God and they didn't trust God. And yet, and yet God continued to provide for them. God provided them manna, bread from heaven to eat. And he provided quails, meat from heaven for them to eat. But in verse 32, it says, the people kept on sinning. In spite of everything that God did for them, they refused to trust God. We are told in verse 36, even when they did obey God, it was only lip service. They weren't really loyal to him. But look at verse 38 in your copy of God's word. It's incredible because it says, in spite of all of this, in spite of the times that the people rebelled against God over and over and over again, God was merciful to them. God was forgiving them. To them, The people would rebel against God, they would break God's heart, they would try God's patience, and yet God continued to love them. God continued to deliver them. The Bible says in Psalm 78 that God even gave them the promised land. He, he drove out the nations who lived there. But if you look down in verse 36, it says, they kept on testing God. They kept on rebelling against God. They they did not obey His laws. They were faithless. They were undependable. We are told that they built shrines and they worshipped idols over and over again. The people of Israel, God's chosen people, forgot the Lord. They rebelled against Him. They refused Him. And yet... Time after time, God would intervene on their behalf. He would defeat their enemies. He, he, would, he would provide their needs and He would forgive their sins. And we are told even though God's anger would rise up against them, He would never destroy them. He was merciful toward them. He was filled with grace to them. And as I read this story... I have to ask, how in the world could they turn their backs on such a good God? How could they turn their backs on such a loving God, a powerful God, a God who time after time met their needs and watched over them? But then I look at my own life and I realize that Israel's history is my history. Israel's story is your story because it seems like in in spite of all the things that that God does for us, all the things that God has done for us, how he clearly reveals himself to us, we rebel against him, we sin against him, we we refuse to believe in him, we refuse to trust him and obey him. Now, Now, as we look at this passage There are some clear truths that I believe that that God reveals that, that we need to teach to our children. And we need to teach to our children's children. The first truth is this. Man is sinful. Well, We're sinful. That's who we are. That's what we do. Ever since our first ancestors rebelled against God in paradise... We've been rebelling against God. Now, some today try to downplay our sin. There are some today that that try to excuse our sin. Others want to deny our sin, and and they try to tell us that it's really not sin at all. But sin is sin, and we're sinners. Now, what is sin? Let me give you an easy definition. Sin, simply put, is rebellion. Sin is refusing to live under God's rule. And we can try to modernize that definition and we can try to put it in words that are, that are more catchy. We can try to put it in words that are more palatable to the generation in which we live. But that's what sin is. Sin is rebelling against God. It's telling God that you're going to do what you want to do rather than what God wants you to do. And we see this over and over in society, when God clearly says something to us in His Word, and yet we question it, we doubt it, we refuse to obey it. And the Bible says that is sin. Sin is rebellion. But sin is also refusing to trust. It's an unwillingness to trust. It's not that we can't trust, it's that we refuse to. To trust we refuse to trust what God says. we refuse to believe that, that God has our best interest at heart and this applies to each and every one of us because the Bible says we have all sinned, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. The, the youngest child is a sinner. the oldest saint is a sinner against Almighty God. And as we read Psalm 78, we see that clearly. We are innately, we are inherently sinners from birth. That's who we are, and that's what we do. We're born sinful, and we're going to choose sin. But there's another truth we see throughout this, and that is in spite of our sin, God is merciful, and God is forgiving. Now, this is the one that blows my mind. Uh, This is the one, to be quite honest with you, I have a hard time understanding. The first truth, man is sinful. All I have to do is look in the mirror, and I acknowledge that. I mean, on my best day, I know that I don't measure up. And so I can just look in the mirror, and, and I know that I fail. I know that I fall short. And to be perfectly honest with you, When I look out at you, I see that we are sinners. Because regardless of how good you may think you are, there are none of us that measure up. On our best days, we fall short. But this truth, the truth that in spite of our sin, God is merciful and God is forgiven. This is the one that... Blows my mind. And in spite of our continued sin. In spite of our continued rebellion. God loves us. And God wants to show mercy and grace and forgiveness to us. That's hard for, for me to understand. Because if, if I were God. I would not have been as patient on Israel. And if I were God. I would not be as patient on me. But yet we see Israel sin over and over and over again. And when I look in the mirror, I discover that I sin over and over and over again. I need God's grace. I need God's mercy. I've discovered, like Israel, I am prone to wander. I'm prone to leave the God I love. And so throughout this psalm, God is revealing that we are sinners, and yet He is merciful and He is forgiving. And, and may I say to you that that is most clearly revealed, not in the Old Testament, but it is re- clearly revealed in the New Testament. When God sent His Son to die in our place on Calvary's cross. You see, God must judge sin but on the cross, God did judge sin. And you and I can be forgiven forever. But there's another truth you and I need to understand. We sit back and say, how is it that, that Israel sinned, refused to believe, failed to acknowledge God over and over and over again? Well, I think there are a variety of reasons. But there's one thing that separates the children of Israel From the church today. The children of Israel did not have the Holy Spirit living within them. The Spirit of God would indwell upon a person from time to time. For a special purpose, for a special season. But in the New Testament we discover that that God's Holy Spirit infills and indwells each and every one of us. And because of that, we don't have to continue the same sins over and over and over again. God can give us victory through the power of His Spirit. And so the proclamation, the message we proclaim is the message of God's Word. That man is sinful and yet God is merciful and God is forgiving. And we see that clearly in the cross. Now what is the purpose Of our proclamation. Look at verses 6 through 8. In verse 6 it says this. So the next generation would know them. Even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God. and, And would not forget his deeds. But would keep his commands. They would not be like their forefathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to Him. Now, Asaph tells us three reasons we continue to tell the stories of God's Word. He says, first of all, so that the generations to come will know the truth. Then that word know there in verse 6 is the Hebrew word "yada." It is the same word translated know in Genesis chapter 4 verse 1. And Adam knew his wife Eve and they had a son. It's not talking about intellectual knowledge. It's talking about intimate knowledge. You see, Asaph is not telling us that, that we need to teach intellectual truths to our children and to our children's children. He is telling us that they need to know these truths deeply and intimately in their heart. In other words, the truths of Scripture need to become so real to them that they transform their lives. It's saying the truth here becomes so real to them that they in turn, the truths that they learn, they're going to share those truths with their children. And their children are going to share those truths with their children. You see, this is the difference between a church that is teaching truths and a church that is seeking to help the next generation to know the truths. I can teach the truths intellectually and someone can, can quote the stories, they can share with me the verses. But, but if those truths haven't permeated their way from the head to the heart, then nothing is going to change. But when it's made its way from, its, from our head to our heart, then we're going to have to share that truth with other people. And when we come to know God... Yada, we know God intimately, then we will love Him because knowledge, real knowledge, brings love. That happened to me in the church I grew up with, the church I grew up in. I can remember sitting down in in Sunday school, and I don't remember all my teachers, but but I remember my sixth grade teacher. His name was Kimsey Tolleson. And Kimsey, I mean, he seemed like an old man when I was in the sixth grade. But, I mean, he kept on living for a long time after then. And don't, isn't that kind of how many of you felt the people that you were growing up with as you were younger? I mean, you looked at them and go, man, they are old. But then you become an adult and they're still alive and you're going, they live forever. Well, Kimsey Tollison was one of those men and, and he would sit down and, and we had the he taught the sixth grade boys and, and we would come in there and we were rambunctious, but Kimsey Tollison loved Jesus. And when he would teach us the stories of God's word in Sunday school. Now Mr. Tollison, he would fall asleep in church. He just did. I mean it was it was it was a pattern was a habit. And, and when I was a little bit older, I said something to my dad. And my dad said, you know, Mr. Tolleson, he may close his eyes there in church, but he hears more with his eyes closed than most people hear with their eyes open. And, and knowing Mr. Tolleson, and knowing how he poured his life into our six, those, those six great boys, of which I was a beneficiary, I know that's true. He told me those stories, but as he told me those stories, I knew they weren't just stories. They were truths of God. And then I remember in discipleship training, we had the Bible drills. And when we learned Scripture, and we memorized Scripture, and we learned how to find verses in the Bible and books in the Bible, and and as I grew up, I realized that That learning those verses, I wasn't just learning knowledge. I was learning truth. For instance, one of the verses that that God used to draw me back to him was a verse that I learned as a child in Bible drills from Psalm 119. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against thee. I learned that verse and when I was wandering from the Lord, God used that verse to show me that his word could help me and lead me and guide me and direct me. You see, it was more than just intellectual knowledge. It was truth that was being instilled to me. And that's what we are trying to do through our Awana programs and and through our life kids and our, our little life kids and all of those things is to pour the truth of God's word into their life. And so Asaph says, we do this so the next generation will know the truth. And then notice what he says, but not only will they know the truth, they will trust in God. Now that word trust it's translated in, in some translations hope, it's translated in some translations confidence, it's translated in some translations trust. But what you need to understand is this is not simply a belief. This is a choice that we make to put our confidence, our hope, our trust in the God of the Bible. And it's not a one-time choice Where we say, do you choose to trust in Jesus and we pray a prayer and we've done this one time thing. No, the word here literally means that they are putting their trust in God from this time forth. They believe that that God will do what God says. They are confident of that and they believe that and that's our desire. We want to teach the truth so that the next generation will know God intimately and they will put their trust in him so that regardless of what may happen in the world, regardless of terrorist attacks, regardless of cancer, regardless of strokes, regardless of loss of jobs, regardless of what may come our way, we have confidence in God because we know He is good, He is loving, and He is in control. But we not only teach the next generation to know Him and to trust Him, we should teach them to obey Him. That word means to watch, to to guard. You see, our goal is not simply to impart knowledge. Our goal is to to provide a relationship that can change behavior. I want you to think for a moment about the Great Commission. The Great Commission says that we are to go into the world and make disciples. We are to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then what does it say? We are to teach them what the truths of the Bible. No, it says we are to teach them To obey everything that God has commanded. You see, knowledge that is transformational. Knowledge that creates a confidence in the God of the Bible will inevitably cause us to want to obey that God. Does that mean that we will obey Him perfectly? No. Does it mean that we'll never have setbacks and failures and, and we'll never slide backwards? No. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that our hope, our confidence, our trust is in the one that we have come to know and believe that he loves us with an everlasting love. And so the reason that we, we share the truth so that the next generations will know the truth That they will place their trust, their confidence in the God who is true. And that they will obey the God of Scripture. Now finally, how can we today participate in that proclamation? Well, in light of this being our our stewardship emphasis, I want to share with you three ways that each and every one of us can participate. First of all, we can take responsibility for our own children. We can come to that point where we realize that that the church isn't a place that we drop off our kids and give them the responsibility of raising our kids. We realize that God has given us the primary responsibility for raising our children and instilling in them biblical truth. And so parents and grandparents, we have to ask ourselves, what are we doing To instill the knowledge of the truth, confidence in the one who is true, and helping our children and our grandchildren obey the truth. What are we doing to help that happen? You can write this down in your note sheet. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Ephesians 6, verse 4. Those verses in both the Old and the New Testament scriptures make it clear That we as parents, we as grandparents, we have that responsibility. And so I would challenge you, take responsibility for the spiritual upbringing of your own children. The second thing I would say is use your gifts and abilities to serve others in his church. You see, the Bible makes it clear that God doesn't want you to live in isolation And there's some of you here today, perhaps, who still haven't made the decision to commit to a local church body. You come, you sit, you soak it in, you may even give. But you've never made that commitment where you said, this is my family. Understand, that's the biblical model. When believers moved to a new town, they joined with the believers in that town in a fellowship that was meeting together. And they were committed to one another. They were devoted to one another with a devotion that was just like their devotion to their family. And to be honest with you, it was even greater than the devotion to their their earthly family. And God has called each and every one of us to be a part of a local church. And the Bible says that when we become a part of that local church, the gifts and the abilities that he has given us, he expects us to use those to help serve the body. And so what that means is, if you call Northside your home and you're sitting but you're not serving, you're withholding the gifts and the abilities that God has given you from the body and the body is being hurt by that some of you are saying well I've done my service I served in the past I served for 20 years or 30 years or 40 years but I would challenge you to to read the scripture nowhere does it say that we retire from serving God and if God has given you gifts and abilities if God has given you passion in areas, if you see needs in areas, then regardless of how young or how old you are, God wants you to use those gifts. And there are some of you today who, who need to volunteer in the preschool ministry. You say, "What can I do? You can love on a little baby. You can change a stinky diaper. You can you can get that child ready so that when that parent comes back from worship, that child is happy, that child is clean, that child has been fed. You can do that. I mean, un- unless you are physically handicapped, you can do that. Does that mean you have to do that every week? No, you can volunteer to do that once a month. You can volunteer to do that once every six weeks. You can serve preschoolers. You can serve children. Not just on Sunday morning or Sunday night, but goodness gracious, Wednesday night. We have hundreds of kids that are gathered here learning scripture. And we need adults who will listen to the scripture that is being quoted by children. What a privilege what a privilege to be able to sit in front of a seven-year-old, an eight-year-old, a nine-year-old and hear them quote God's Word. I mean, you go, man, that's time-consuming. No, that's a blessing. That's a blessing. And there's some of you that have gifts. And then some of you have been called to purgatory. The teenage ministry. <laughs> student ministry. It gets us ready for heaven, amen? Amen. I mean, and some of you are called to that. Now, some of you aren't. Some of you, you, you'd need anger management if you were going to work with teenagers. And you need to learn how to control yourself. And you don't need to be in there with teenagers. But there are many of you that can. You say, I can't teach. It's okay. Live your life in love with Jesus before them. Volunteer on Wednesday night. On Wednesday nights, we're opening up this gym very soon, beginning right after school. Open gym for teenagers so that we can reach kids from the schools. Then they will be here for Bible study. You say, what can I do? Well, you can volunteer to be here on a Wednesday afternoon because we need student leaders who can watch kids. We just can't have them running wild They've got to be supervised so that if somebody gets hurt or anything like that, we're there and you're just hanging out with them. I mean, you say, what's my spiritual gift? It may be hanging out. That's okay. You're impacting a life. And so you see, you can use your gifts and your abilities in preschool and children and student ministry. And everybody can do that. But then finally... We give our resources to carry on the ministry and the mission of our church. It takes money to do all the ministries that we do. We're blessed. We are blessed in that, that we have ministers on staff who their assignment by God, they've been called by God to work with children, to work with students, to work with preschoolers. And, and because of where we are in the season of our life as a church, we're able to, to bring them alongside us to help our children and to equip us. But it's not their task alone to do it. But if we're going to have them, then we have to provide for them. And then we have all of these ministries on Sunday morning and on Sunday night and, and on Wednesday night. And then we send our kids and our students to camp. And most of them pay for that. But, but there are some that are coming from such impoverished backgrounds that that they don't have the resources to do that. And so how can they go? You say, well, they can get out and work, and they do. But even with that, they need help. And we provide that aid. You see, when you give money to our budget, you are providing preschoolers for children, for teenagers, so the next generation can know another way that you can give is through forward there's some of you who have been so faithful in giving when we relocated and then when we did our addition and I want to thank you for that we could never be where we are today apart from your generosity but if there's some of you that that have never made that commitment to give over and above your ties to help us have facilities where we're able to minister in incredible ways, then I want to encourage you to do that because that's something we can do. Everybody can't give the same amount, but everybody can say, you know, I, I can give an extra $10 a week or I can give an extra whatever. And it helps us provide the resources that we have. But then there's another way that we can give of our resources. And I want you to listen. And this isn't just for my generation and older. It's for every generation. Back when my wife and I first got married, we sat down with, with Weldon Falal, who lives here in Columbia. And he was working for the Baptist Foundation at that time. And he's retired. And, and we had nothing. I mean, Sherry and I had nothing. We were just starting out. But, but we wanted to be good stewards. And so we sat down with Weldon and we made out a will. And in our will, we gave 10% of our resources to our church when we died in our will. 10% of our resources to our church and to foreign missions. Because even when we had nothing, we wanted to say with our life insurance and things like that, we want to be able to continue a legacy even after we're dead. And every time that we move to another church, we would, we would change our will. And, and now when, when Sherry and I are dead and gone, a portion of our, our estate will go to carry on ministries at Northside. Now, will it benefit me? No. I'm going to be in heaven. Would benefit my children? Most likely not. It may not even benefit my grandchildren. But listen, it will benefit generations to come. And that's something that you can do regardless of where you are financially. You say, I don't have a big estate. It doesn't matter. Everybody can establish a will where we remember the Lord's work even after we die. And I would encourage you, if you haven't done that, to do that. And so in light of what God's word says, that these truths are timeless, that man is sinful and God is merciful and forgiving, in light of what you and I are supposed to do, to teach the generations to come to know God, to trust God, And to obey God, what can we do? Well, we can take responsibility as parents and grandparents in our homes. We can use our gifts and abilities here in our church, in the preschool, the children's, the student ministries. We can give our resources to our our budget, to forward, and then even after we die, through our will. And I would challenge you to ask yourself in each of these areas, are you doing it? As a parent, as a grandparent, are you having a daily time with your children, with your grandchildren, if they're close enough where you're able to do that, where you're teaching them to know God, to place their confidence in Him and to obey Him? Are you, are you using your gifts or are you just sitting And are you giving of your resources so that the next generation will know? I pray you are because that's what God calls us to do. I want you to bow your head with me. I'm going to pray and we're going to close the message. But as I pray, I want you to just ask yourself, can I improve in this area? Can I serve by doing this? Can I give more or be more faithful in my giving? Father God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you, Father, that, Lord, you have placed in our hands the responsibility for reaching the next generation. And, oh, Father, I pray that we will never, ever look at church and ask, what does it do for me? I pray, Father, that those of us who know you will look at the church and look at our participation by asking, what can I do for others? Oh, Lord God, use us to be a church that reaches the next generation. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. that. Next week, we're going to be delivering our Thanksgiving baskets. We are anticipating delivering 200 baskets to families in need. For you that do not know, a Thanksgiving basket includes a a turkey. It includes all the fixings so that a family that would not normally be able to have a traditional Thanksgiving meal can have that. So we're ministering to these families. We normally take up that money through our life groups. We're doing that still. We're still a little short of what we need to minister to these families. We have the 200 families coming in, so we are going to do that. But let me encourage you, if you haven't had an opportunity to participate in this special offering, to do that through your life group. Take advantage of this opportunity to minister to families in need. Now, this time, I want to call our, us into conference to vote on two things. We do this once a year. This year, we're going to vote on two things. Normally, we vote on one. We, this past Sunday night, we had our annual conference. We presented our annual budget. We also presented some bylaw changes that literally just put our bylaws into line with what we have been doing for, for several years now. And we want to vote on those two things right now. First of all, our budget. All those in favor of the recommended budget by our stewardship team, um, if you would let us know by lifting your right hand right now, we would appreciate that. Okay, thank you so much. All of those who are opposed to our 2016 budget, lift your hand. Okay, thank you. Now we want to move these bylaw changes... And this is presented by our senior leadership team, which is the chairperson of each of our um, leadership teams, our human resource, our stewardship, our chairman of deacons, and our future development team. And then four of our pastors, all those in favor of these bylaw changes that have been recommended, would you let us know by lifting your right hand, please? Thank you. All those opposed by lifting your right hand. Thank you so much. Let me remind you, next week, we're going to continue our series on generations. If you are here and you're first-time guest, we would love to meet you in the cafe for just a moment. Answer any questions you may have about Northside. God bless you. You have a good rest First of all, first-time guest, let me remind you, just meet us in the cafe, if you will, right after the service. We'd love to put a name with a faith. Second of all, this next Sunday, the 22nd, we're going to be delivering Thanksgiving baskets to 200 families. Thanksgiving baskets include a whole turkey, all the fixings. We give these to families who would not normally be able to have a Thanksgiving meal, a traditional Thanksgiving meal. We still need some money for that. And our life groups have been taking up some money. But if you haven't had the opportunity to give to that would like to. It's an incredible benevolent opportunity. Let me encourage you to do that. Now for the business. This past Sunday night, we had our annual church conference and we um, brought up two things that we need to vote on as a church family. And so if you're a part of the Northside family, I encourage you to participate in this. The first was our annual budget, our 2016 budget, which is our ministry plan. We presented that, opened it up for discussion, answered any questions at that point in time. We vote on it now without discussion. All those in favor of our 2016 budget, would you please lift your right hand? Thank you so much. All those opposed? Thank you so much. The second item of business that we um, took, um, that, we, um, that we brought last Sunday night was some changes in our bylaws. Our bylaws or our legal document as a church. We have to have those. And the changes basically put us in line with how we're operating right now. We included our values in our bylaws. We updated our belief statement, things like that in the bylaws. The bylaws, these changes were recommended by our senior leadership team, which is the chairperson of each of our major teams, plus our chairman of deacons, and then four of our pastors. Again, we opened this up for questions, answered any questions that were brought up. There was no problems with this. All those in favor of these bylaw changes, would you please lift your right hand? All those opposed by like sign, thank you so much. You are a gracious body.